When is the last time you listened to a podcast about web development, web design, and small business and didn't fall asleep? Yes, we cover web development, web design, and small business, but like actual human beings with personalities. If you're a beginner, we're not going to talk over your head. It's more like asking your buddy for help. We have guests, we have fun, and let me tell you, these two can get off on a tangent. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to HTML All The Things Podcast. This is Matt Lawrence and Mike Curran. That's right, everybody. We are back, and this is episode 205, Web Design for Web Developers. This is something that I think we've even maybe talked about for a whole episode, or for for sure we've talked about it in episodes, and that is sort of the different skill sets that is web design and web developers, and we want to have a purely, actually, conversational episode where the show notes today just completely consist of just questions that Mike and I are going to answer live that we came up with these questions. These aren't from the audience or anything, but just questions that sort of come up from clients or maybe your little bit of self-doubt or a little bit of imposter syndrome or just questions when you're getting started. We'll get into web design for web developers and all kinds of different things and how to treat that in your agency and your freelancing and your et cetera, et cetera. So if this sounds interesting to you and you want to support the show, you can go check us out on that Patreon, leave a review or rating on your podcast app, join us in our Discord server, or share this with your friends. And I want to just have a, a brief disclaimer that if you hear my phone going off, I have a very late repair person supposed to show up to my home, and so I have to have the phone on, and so I apologize for that. I uh, scheduled it for hours ago, and there's hours left in, there's, it, we're hours late, and there's hours left in them going to be showing up, apparently, so whatever. I'm just letting you know, and it just went off. So there you go. So just letting you know now. And oh, please, more. <laughs> I mean, anyway, first question here, Mike, let's, start, let's just jump right in here. Do you need both web design and web development skills in an agency or as a freelancer? What is the sort of status in that way? Because, and I'll just sort of preface where this question came from since I'm the one that wrote it, is that a lot of the time I'll go into a project and go, oh man, like, you know, I learned X skill. I'd like to use that skill on a project. Let me go use it. And then I get stumped by, uh uh-oh. You know, projects that I've looked at online as a sort of a template to be like, oh, this is like a bit of inspiration, have a lot of design. And then when I sit down, I'm like, "Uh oh, you know, I'm not as artsy, I guess you could say, or maybe I don't need to be. So what do you what do you think? And and this question can be sort of aimed at people in an agency or as a freelancer. I assume the situation's different. So what do you think? Do you need both web design and web development skills? Yeah. So I I think it's a good, it's a really good question. Um, And I think I'll I'll add to your like agency freelancer and maybe like just, you know, and like employed engineer or something like that. Um, Do you need them for all of them? So for me personally, this is a good, like, I kind of reflect on this part of the industry a lot because I don't have great design skills or I would, I should say I don't have any design skills really. Uh, so I'm very much in the boat where I'm like a front end developer <laughs> with no design skills. But the great thing about development and coding and, you know, all of that stuff is that there's just so much that it, even on the front end, I barely touch design. So yes, sometimes I need to like do a little bit of a layout here or there. Like I, I barely honestly even touch HTML and CSS these days. So I do some layouts. But about 
10, 20% of my work is layouts. The rest of it is doing stuff like caching, uh, setting up APIs, uh, you know, you know, handling authentication, uh, setting up projects, setting like doing image optimization so that the server, I get the right images from the server. There's just a ton of really in-depth development that's required for a modern front end that a front end engineer might not touch design, let alone UI development even. And I had this conversation recently with someone and they're a front end engineer and they only do design, right? They only do design and front end layouts. So they've never touched like the in-depth core of a framework. So that all they do is really HTML and CSS and a little bit of event handling, right? Uh, like clicks and stuff like that. They've never gone into, you know, optimizing it for ed- the edge or deploying a project properly or, you know, scaling a project or caching anything or even interacting with APIs. They've never done that, but they've done solely HTML, CSS, and just a tiny bit of JavaScript to make it interactable with, with animations. And it's really interesting, like the two completely opposite things, like I am the exact opposite of that, where I barely touch that. And I solely kind of go in and make sure that the project is working properly on the front end. And he does the visual stuff. And again, we're, we're both in the front end, both front end engineers, both web developers. I, again, I wouldn't call myself a web designer, but I do dabble in that. And we're going to talk about a little ways of like hacking web design or making it so that you like pretending that you know what you're doing. Um, and I, I'm putting air quotes just in case anyone doesn't get that, that tone for my voice. Uh, but essentially, you're not required to have both of these, you know, skill sets to be a successful web developer slash designer. Honestly, um, there's plenty of ways around it, and there's plenty of different roles in a front end team. And not that's not even to mention back end. Like if you if you really don't want to ever touch a UI, there's tons of roles in the back end sphere of things. And you can be, you know, I, I don't know if that's considered a web developer or not. I, that, that's where I'm kind of hesitating, saying that, like, you know, you can just jump into back end because web development maybe is mostly talking about front end stuff. But there's for sure a lot of like, there's a lot of places for you to exist in the web development sphere, ha- knowing either both of the skills or one of the skills. I accidentally had my mic muted and literally started what I was saying. And it was awesome. I had a whole like rebuttal to you. And then I just realized that my, there was no waves on my thing. So I'm just a fool. So I have my phone ringing throughout our episode and I'm going to have my mic muted for a good portion of it. <laughs> I feel like today. So anyway, <laughs> um, this is an interesting divide. Here's my, here's my awesome intro to what I was saying. This here, this is an interesting divide in our web agency specifically because you and I have different jobs, different responsibilities. You handle the longer term contracts generally. And what that ends up typically looking like is that you join a dev team or run a dev team or whatever the contract dictates in a larger company generally, or at least a company with a few employees that you work alongside. For me, I end up working with our small to medium business clients. And then I also end up doing a lot of our just projects for us, projects for what we're building. And so in your case, you can you have other people to sort of talk to. And you've even mentioned that, that you had other uh, you know, colleagues that 
were in the same sort of team or the same sort of area, but they did different things. For me, it's largely I have to sort of at least touch everything. We work with a contractor that does a lot of our back end stuff, does a lot of our infrastructure help and, you know, kind of consults us on like, I'll be like, hey, how's this backup solution? Hey, how's this? And we'll have some back and forth there. But largely because, you know, let's just say the two of us are freelancers, more or less, even though it is for an agency. It's a different scenario in that if I go into a meeting with a client who has never talked to us before or has never talked to us before about this particular project, we have this sort of point in the meeting. It's almost like an imposter syndrome point in the meeting where they're like, hey, you know, how would you design this? Or, hey, we need a brand design. And I can comment on it because I have to sort of do like a fair bit of the web design, a fair bit of the web development, this and that. But there's holes in my knowledge and skill set where, for example, I don't write or draw the illustrations. Uh, I'm not, you know, amazing at choosing colors. I'm not amazing at choosing fonts. I use tools to help me choose fonts. I read articles and I do stuff like that because I need sort of this jack of all trades mentality as a freelancer that does these projects from start to finish and sometimes right from scratch, start to finish uh, alongside our contractor. But the thing is, is that ultimately I still feel as though and and there is going to be holes in, in my knowledge. And we'll talk about a little bit how clients treat this in, in the future here, but some clients do pick up on it and we have had people come up and say, Hey, you know, from what you've been talking to us or the way you've been talking to us, you meaning me sound more technical. And, you know, do you do brand identity? Do you do this? Do you do that on the web design or just the design side of things? And I can, and I often say I can do that stuff and I will show you my work, but I'm not going to say in a formal way that I am a a web designer or a designer or a brand expert or anything like that. And I think that that does hurt us, but it's like a realistic hurt in that then our team or then our company would be, you know, probably much larger. We would probably need more than one designer, I would assume, or we didn't need at least one. But if we're going to do multiple projects, I'd assume we need more than one, maybe even for just different styles of design. Um, again, we haven't done this, so maybe I'm wrong there. But the thing is, is that I'm not traditionally sort of trained. And that'll be the next question coming up, actually. So I won't touch too much on that. But I'm not traditionally trained in design. But what I do do every day is I and this is just in regular life is I do sort of try to pay attention to how things are laid out on anything I'm I'm using. And I have sort of a bit of a passion for UX so I try to make my designs sort of really centered around good UX. And I absolutely can acknowledge that, let's say I put out a design and somebody else, you know, that is a designer comes out with one that's better, <laughs> faster than me. It's like, dang, because my designs are often iterative. I go in there saying, OK, the first thing I, I think of is not colors. The first thing I think of is, OK. You know, how would we lay this out so that it's easy to use? How would we lay this out so that the user is informed? And I lay it all out, you know, and cut some buttons out. Hey, there's six buttons here. We could probably consolidate this. Let's make it three stuff like that. And then the design stuff is a bit of an afterthought to an extent. The fact that I'm 
observant and, and I'm sure Mike is too, because we're just in the field so much and seeing websites all the time, we're not going to be designing some sort of crazy website that no one's ever seen before. That's, you know, let's say horrible to use. At least I hope not. So no one's going to be, you know, totally shocked at our design. We're not designing things that are, that used to be built in the nineties, early two thousands, but maybe our font choices aren't the top tier. Maybe they're at 80% and the other person's at a hundred or 90%, like a design, a true designer is, but it's just sort of a side effect, I suppose, of this jack of all trades sort of situation that we find ourselves in. Uh, and, and I'm sure it's cost us jobs, which is unfortunate. You know, we go there and someone really wants brand identity. That's what they're really after. And then their brand is largely focused on the website. And I'm there talking about, oh, this is how we'll do backups. This is how we'll do this. This is how we'll do that. You know, customers will check out here, this and that. And they can pick up on because people are starting to get more tech savvy just in general. People, they, they bring it up to me. They'll say, hey, you know, you kind of sound more technical. Probably because they've had other meetings with other people and those people are designers and they're talking about, well, have this really cool, like, you know, flip in effect or fade in effect. And I'm sitting there going, hey, you know, we'll pull that data from X type of thing. So I think that you do and you don't to answer this question, you do and you don't need both. Uh, you know, we've done tons of different designs and and I do iterative design. I think it was even brought up on syntax one time where Scott or Wes or maybe even both even said that they're not and don't quote me on this. It could have been a different podcast, but, you know, they they were talking about how, you know, they're not traditionally trained as, as designers either, at least at the time they weren't. I don't know if they are now, um, but basically the sentiment was, you know, you've kind of built something that generally works and is generally modern, you know, content boxes, nav bars, responsivity, those type of things. And then you iterate, 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 and you basically kind of polish, 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 polish. Whereas in my opinion, excuse me, a designer kind of starts with, starts quicker. Like maybe I spend an hour polishing and they spend, excuse me, I, I spend an hour polishing and they spend 10 minutes. So they kind of are closer to the finish line right away, but I'll get there. Maybe not perfect. Maybe I won't be, you know, showroom quality, but I'm not going to be, you know, bad, if that makes sense. So I think a web designer or someone that's into design can really be an asset to your team if you are a person that's going to be doing projects from the beginning to the end. Do I think it's mandatory? No. And also, I think it's something that can be practiced. Obviously, you could take courses and this and that to learn color theory or whatever else. Like, oh, this is how much stuff should be on a page. And we need to, you know, control the eye movement from left to right. And what do, what do you look at first? And et cetera, et cetera. You know, the list goes on as to all these design uh, sort of rules and stuff like that. You can learn all that stuff. But a lot of it comes from practice as well. Uh, if I'm away from a design for a very long time, and I go into, say, Figma or even just wireframing, my first couple of pages in a five-page design are going to be kind of garbage. And then I'll kind of knock that rust off. And the next two pages will be better. And then I'll go back and iterate that design or that layout in those first first few pages, first two, three pages. So, that, so that's kind of where I'm at. I think in an agency, it's cool because in a larger agency with like a team, you can kind of lean on people when they're different skill sets. If you're a freelancer or even just a very small team, you have less skills to lean on generally. And so do you need both web design and web development skills? Yes, but not at a level in which you need to be trained in both is my answer. Yeah. And I think that's a, honestly, a, 
the correct answer. It, it's really tough, right? Like you were saying, um, you kind of have to, to, to be good at any of them. You kind of have to specialize, right? I mean, there are probably jack-of-all-trades that are amazing at everything. I'm not saying that there aren't, but for the most part, us regular people. Uh, you know, if I want to become good at design, it maybe it might be possible. Like I don't have a natural talent for it. I'm going to say that right away, but it doesn't say, mean that I can't go in and start learning it, right? It doesn't mean I can't go in and uh, just sit down and have some sort of traditional training or something like that. So I think that kind of leads right into the next question that Matt has here. So if you're if you're a traditional designer, right, in web design. Do you need that design training to do web design? Like, do you need to go to like, I don't know, a university for web design? Do you need to go about to, you need to take like some sort of certification course that gives you a certificate that you show someone? Um, I mean, I have an answer to this, but I'll, I'll pass it off to you, Matt, for the first one. Yeah. So I think in this particular case, I don't know. I, I think there's a weird kind of sort of crossover here where, I know that a lot of people don't go to school for web design in particular. They go just for design. And then web design is a portion of that. And I'm sure there's specific, obviously, there's web design courses on things like Udemy and stuff and probably some universities and colleges as well. So, I mean, I think design training helps, um, but I think it also isn't necessarily required. And the reason is, is because exposure helps a lot. If you went to just straight up design training, so you went to a college or university or whatever, and you learned all about how to make flyers, like paper flyers that you'd hand out or hang on a wall. And that was what they primarily showed you. They showed you the color theory, this and that, and all these skills that are transferable to web design. But a lot of the layout stuff you did was on just flyers. I mean, the flyers aren't going to you know, be bad. They're probably going to be good. You have a lot of practice at it, but your first few web pages, or maybe even it might take a while for you to really warm up to web design in particular and how to work in the fact that people are going to be clicking on stuff or using screen readers on stuff, or what is the anticipated action? An example is, are you going to, you have a podcast is a great example. You have a podcast and Mike and I have had this debate tons of times where do you put an availability bar, as I call it, in your podcast pages where do I have my let's say it's this episode. So web design for web developers. And I have a page on our website for that. Do I just embed the episode in there from a podcast provider of my choice? Because with podcasts, it's weird, right? You have you put out your show and then it gets distributed generally to a bunch of different places. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, the list goes on. And so it's, do you include links to all of these for people that use those services or prefer those services? Or do you just say, have a listen now button with a little embedded player and you don't care? Is that, is that where you're at? So with that being said, even though that's, you know, kind of talking more about functionality, that's going to affect the design. And anticipating user actions like that is not only difficult, but also often done wrong because you're assuming things, you're using data sets to assume things like that. But it it does make a difference. Another really basic example would be, should you include some metadata or is what I would call metadata for your episodes, such as do you include when the episode was recorded and when it was late, when it was put out? 
maybe very few people would care about that. But do you care about that just in case it takes a week or two for your episode to become produced from recording and some of the information may be slightly dated or maybe you mentioned news articles if you're doing a news show? Um, you know, do you include that on your page? Now, that sounds really easy, but you're going to have to change the spacing of the page. What font does that metadata use? Is it right in your face? Do you want it to be very obvious? Do you not want it to be right in your face? Do you want it to be sort of hidden where someone has to click a little eye icon to get information? Do you want it to be right below the byline? Do you want it to be right below the title? Do you like where do you want it? Where do you want this stuff? So this is this is stuff that this is stuff that, you know, kind of comes in in the form of needing to know interfaces. And so to kind of go back to the question is, do you need design training in order to do web design? I don't think you need it. I think you ultimately need exposure to interfaces, specifically ones that you're going to be making, whether it be a web app, a website, marketing site, because all these interfaces are different with some commonalities, of course. And then having the traditional design training is probably really valuable, but not needed because you'll learn things that are transferable. Like I said, the color theory generally laying things out, not overcrowding pages. And there's going to be a bunch of stuff that even I don't know about in there as well. And a sub question to this is what about illustrations? So one of the things that I'll, I'll often get, you know, kind of get into a project and be like, uh oh, is I'll start laying things out. And then I kind of have that imposter syndrome moment where I think, man, I'm just kind of laying out boxes and photos. What happens if someone comes to me and says, hey, I need a little a little like avatar drawn, like a bitmoji or something of of me, and I want that on the site. I don't want a photo of me on there. Illustrations are something that I just cannot do. And I have listened to, I think it's Flux on uh, Webflow a number of years ago, so even say like he doesn't really like doing illustrations, and so he hired someone out. And so I would probably do the same thing, but having the ability to do the illustrations would be helpful. So again, I think design training and even say illustration training like drawing and or the ability to draw is probably going to be of great help but i don't think you need it i think you need exposure and practice looking at on looking at laying out and und- and understanding how people interact with web pages yeah um i think that's the key is like there is no requirements like that in web development. Now, having said that, there are requirements like that in like cloud infrastructure stuff, machine learning, some of the more complex uh, backend services. There are some like, hey, to do this task, you have to have this certificate from AWS, right? Like that's a requirement. In web development, in web design, there is no like, hey, show me your credentials. <laughs> Like, no one's going to ask for you, ask for that or they're going to the ask very, for your portfolio before they ask for your credentials in a lot of cases, actually. That's a, and that's exactly it. That's my point is that Matt said it. The first couple websites that you make, no matter how good you are at traditional design, are probably not going to be great. Right. So the idea is, is just make those websites knowing that they're not going to be good and put them on your portfolio for now. But then keep making websites and you'll know, you'll, you'll notice patterns that you, that you follow. You'll notice mistakes that you made in the past and you'll figure out where you're lacking. So some people have really good spatial awareness. They know how much space needs to be between columns. They know how much space be, needs to be between vertical sections. You know what I mean? Like some people are just good at that, but they don't have a good awareness for the font. So they don't know what the font, like consistent font sizing. They don't see that as an issue. So they, when you start to realize your deficiencies in the design space, and this applies to the development space too, but specifically in the design space, 
you'll know what to focus on. And the only way to find your deficiencies is not through traditional training. It's through creating websites of different kinds, portfolio websites, e-com websites, uh, blogs, like, you know, any website you can think of, just create them. If you're going into the, if you're trying to become a web designer, right? Just like a web developer, you have to create projects. You have to create, you have to build out your portfolio. And that is going to show you where you might need some quote unquote traditional training. Because sometimes, like for me, I can't, I can't, I can't do fonts. Like I, I can't do font pairings, like font, like every font pairing I pick just sucks. I hate it. So if I were to go into design, one of the first things that I would do is literally try to take a course on font pairings or try to, you know, watch a YouTube video and practice font pairings. And I think I'm okay with like grid layouts and stuff like that, but I, I'm not great with unique portfolio layouts. So I would focus on that. Like I would find out my deficiencies and I would focus on those in some traditional training routes. But again, it's not for the certification. It's just for the skills to make my websites look better. That's really all I would care about in terms of training. And the sort of practice is kind of what you kind of sounds like you're, what you're getting at. That practice is has like a transferable transferable excuse me skills across as well, which is nice. In that, if you once you get familiar with websites, there's certainly going to be unique ones that are absolutely new inventions. Usually, they're web apps that have never been done before. But a lot of interfaces have already been kind of sorted out. So if someone's making an image editor online, you can refer to something like Photoshop for inspiration, and then you can slowly iterate and iterate and iterate. And the thing is, is you're not going to steal their design, I would hope, from one project to the other. Let's say you build, I don't know, what some sort of photo editor. And then another client, a number of years later or a number of months later, wants you to build out a photo editor Maybe some design things have changed and some user interfacings have changed. But in general, people are used to common things like buttons, links, stuff like that. And certainly certain controls that are in things like many photo editors, like in Photoshop and stuff like that. Like the eyedropper tool can just be an icon now, stuff like that. And so when you learn a design, say a marketing site, many marketing sites have this have very similar things. There's going to be some unique twist to them, but they're going to have buttons. They're going to have text. They're going to have fade ins. They may have parallax, stuff like that. So there's going to be transferable skills. And so you're actually by practicing and by doing a lot of this stuff, you're kind of training yourself up for future projects as well. And with that, I'd like to move on actually to the next question, which is, does the public, meaning the prospective clients you have, you know, do they know the difference between web design and web development? Because, you know, we're talking about a huge, say, catalog of skills you can learn in just the design phase. But as Mike has alluded to a few times, there's back end, front end development, and there's tons of tools in there that we've talked about episode after episode after episode on this podcast. So does a, does these does the public, the, the prospective clients, do they know the difference and does it matter to them? Mike, what do you think? It's a really good question. And no, they don't know the difference and nor should they or nor should you expect them to. When you're talking, depending, obviously, depending on the client, you can have a technical client. I should have said that right off the bat. So you can be hired by a technical agency to perform some technical work. That technical agency should and probably does know the difference between web design and web development. And they'll most likely hire you for one or the other or both or whatever, and they'll know it. But a typical client for a freelancer or a typical client in an agency that is coming there to build a marketing site for their business does not know and nor do they care about the web development, web design separation. 
all they care about is I need to get a website online that does functions A, B, and C. So it needs to, you know, uh, generate traffic, do conversions for my website, uh, create leads, whatever, like whatever the website's designed to do. Though That's the language that you have to speak to the clients with. Conversions, sales, uh, you know, UX, uh, some, some, you know, speed metrics, stuff like that. As soon as you start talking to them about server infrastructure, about caching, about, uh, you know, the development side of things, really, all of the, you know, the, the framework that you choose, uh, what kind of CMS they're going to use even, like, barring, you know, some people have familiarity with WordPress, um, but even that, I, I don't really, I disregard. Uh, they, it just doesn't need to come up at any point during your conversation in the sales process, at any point to your, during your conversations with development, and at any point to your, during your conversations of passing the, the project on or hosting the project, whatever. It is to that degree, like as soon like, and Matt, you mentioned it, as soon as you start talking about that stuff, the client will zone out. And that's the opposite of what you want. You want your sales pitches to be extremely short and sweet. And you want your, you know, meetings with them to be extremely short and sweet. As soon as you start loading them up with information, they're going to either have ridiculous questions to ask you that don't make any sense because they don't understand the context of what you're saying, or it's going to scare them off because you're not talking in terms that they understand and they want someone that under like understands them in that way. So in my opinion, again, typical clients do not know the difference and nor should they. The thing, too, with with pitches like that, where, you know, you you start bringing up a lot of details and, and we've done this for a number of years um, and we've basically been shaving off pages and pages and pages of proposals and project documents and changing how we propose projects and stuff, because a lot of time and effort goes into laying things out from a technical perspective, from a non-technical perspective. And a lot of it either gets ignored or it scares people off. We've definitely had clients where we, I go to them and I say, Hey, you know, they want it. They want it fast. They want this. They want that. So I say, well, in terms of the needs of the project, I would recommend a WordPress template. And then I, I used to go into the fact that, Hey, templates are very rigid and, you know, oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes it's very hard to change things. So if you think that you want an, an, an ever, I guess you could call it an ever changing design, kind of hesitate calling it that but because they'll want a million changes but like if they want like a an iterative design over time not when it's behind closed doors you know you put it out today and the next month is a little different next month is a little different iterative design i guess you would call it i kind of tell them like you know you can't really do that with wordpress and i've gotten people that are like i don't care about that you know i just want this and i'm like i understand that but i'm trying to set you up with the foundation that's correct and I'm bringing too much into it and I'm bringing too much almost banter that I would have or conversation that I'd have with someone in the field where I go, man, I just, you know, I don't know how you use, you know, whatever tool it is because it has too much of this or it has too much technical debt or it has too much this or that or whatever. And that's not interesting to the client. And even though it affects them, it's sort of like you need to look out for them the best you can. And so I still will mention things like, hey, these templates are rigid, just an FYI but I don't keep going into it. And what I've changed is I just sort of tell them stuff like that. Like there's more things that I tell them other than the templates are rigid, but I'll go to them and be like, this template's pretty rigid. And then if in a few months, if they come to me and they say they want a big design, I'll be like, Hey, like I said, this template's rather rigid. We're going to have to do a lot of work for this. This is how much it's going to cost. Here's a quote. 
and he either stops them in the tracks or they go with it. Because as long as you like basically don't try to make them experts in, in the topic. And I think that's where we kind of misstep before because the public does not know the difference between web design and web development and back end and front end. They don't know the difference and it doesn't matter to them. They want X projects and there is no perfect solution, or at least I'd argue that there is no perfect solution for any one project. There is no any perfect budget. There's no nothing's perfect is basically what I'm trying to get at. And, you know, prospective client, just guide them the best you can use your professional opinion, warn them when appropriate, but keep things brief. Uh, and, and I'll just give a brief example as to what we've re- been recently doing is when we don't even give them a formal quote a lot of the time. If a person requests a formal quote, we'll go into the detail, not pages and pages and pages, maybe three or four pages, including the whole like, you know, like we go into QuickBooks and we make up a quote. Right. So that's like a page or two just in just in sort of formality and into formatting. But in general, what we do is we write a point form list of stuff just in Word. Open up Microsoft Word, just write a point form list. This is what we want to do. Bang, 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 bang. Here's the licenses we need. Bang, 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 bang. Here's the plugins if we're using something like WordPress or something. Just write them out, write them out, write them out, and give it to them. It looks a little informal, but we say that to them. This is a very informal thing. And here's an informal roadmap within there, in point form as well. And in there, it literally says in the roadmap, if you'd like a formal quote rather than a rough estimate, which you can find at the bottom of this document, which is like two or three bullet points of this is how much we think it's going to cost. If you'd like a formal quote, we will make it at your request because some places they, they don't care. They see the rough estimate. They they're happy with it and they just want to get started. They don't want the formalities. Some people want the formalities. And I would like to point out as well that like Mike mentioned, there are technical clients, but there's also clients of all types. Some people want the formality right off the hop. And we've had people get annoyed at us because we give them the in, sort of more informal document. Like, why are you giving this to me? Like, why isn't it all sort of corporate and office But then we have other people that are like, hey, I hate this. And we've actually had it on the same team. We've worked for one client. There's two people that we to communicate with. One wants it all to be formal all the time. And the other one hates it. And you're sort of like, uh, OK, so we have to kind of consider our time as well. Do I want to spend all this time making this huge formal thing when it hasn't been requested of me? All this time, all these days, a couple days, right, of work potentially for them to just say, ah, like, you know, I flipped to the back page of these this six to ten page document. I don't like this price. I'm out of here. And it's like, well, there goes a there goes a good old three to five days worth of work. Great. Um, So, you know, to answer the question, does the public know the difference between web design, web design and web development? Some of them will. Some of them won't. And you have to have conversations with them based upon what, how you kind of feel out what they know, you'll figure it out when they ask you questions. Like, like what I said, clients have brought up to me and say, you sound more technical than designer stuff like that. Like they've clearly been, been here before they've built sites before they've talked to other developers. They're not new. And so you can kind of design your proposals and design your documents around that, but don't, you don't have to tell them every little thing. Like, Hey, this license refreshes every year and you don't have to give them every little bit because they don't need to know that. Does it matter to them? No. Yep. And less is more. I I think that that's the key. That's the key for a lot of clients. Again, like Matt said, adapt to the situation, but less is more. 
Um, but okay, so we've talked about do we need both web design and web development skills, but really, what are web design and web development skills, right? How close is web design in relation to web development? Um, are separate teams needed? How close do they work if they're separate? Like, I think we need to kind of define this a little bit. And I, I don't know if there's an actual like, you know, Wikipedia definition. There probably is, right? But I think let's, Matt, let's just you and I define what we're talking about when we talk about web design. That sounds uh, good to me. Yeah, and web development. And let's just go from there because, again, it's this this industry is so crazy that taking a definition off of a random site is going to be as accurate as probably what we're, whatever we're going to say. So web design, go. What's the definition? So web design for me, a lot of it is layout. Um, but it starts to dabble more into the visual side of things rather than the wireframe side of things. What I mean by visual is I mean having actual images, actual copy, stuff like that, that you would not find in a low fidelity drawing like a like a, a wireframe. A wireframe to me is more UX UI and it's almost more in the web developer side of things. It's It's really development slash design for me. So wireframe is development slash design because the developers more than likely have a lot of UX experience and I do. So I like making wireframes out. But in order to kind of show it to the client, a lot of clients don't want that and they want a prototype. That's when you start getting into the nitty gritty of font types and stuff like that. Font types, actual images or at least applicable stock images, uh, proper spacing. In some cases, an actual working prototype that works, say, on a phone via Figma or Adobe XD and stuff like that. That's where web design is sort of that's the core web design for me is it's the visual element, the visual layout of what's going on. It's less about the UX. It respects the UX, but it's more about the visual fidelity, I would say of the entire project and then web development ties in. So again, web development to me kind of starts at that UX and that wireframe stage, if you will, because it's one of the first stages and you kind of go from there. You, let's say like you, let's say you work with a designer on the wireframe. So it's both web design and web developers working away. Then you kind of hand that to the, once the, the wireframes are done, you kind of hand that to the designer and the designer sort of, does their stuff right. They make it all nice and pretty and then it gets approved. This and that bureaucracy happens, whatever. And then they hand it to you, the developer, and you physically create it. So the development part is the creation part. Now, I, I do want to state that this is my opinion. Obviously, many design agencies probably do wireframes that don't involve the devel developers at all, potentially. But this is to me, this is how I work it out, because I think that developers have a lot of things to, to say when it comes to UX and so do designers. And then I think that, well, web developers in general, again, have less to say about the visual fidelity unless they need to have that skill if they're a freelancer, a solo freelancer. So that's where I'm at, is it's sort of like work together, web development, web design, then web design kind of happens. That's that visual fidelity part. And then to someone has to actually make the visual fidelity a real thing, a real a web app, a real website. And that goes down to web development. That's how I see it. And with that. If we were to talk about whether there's whether they're completely separate teams, I think they can or they can't be. It, it, it really doesn't matter either way. You can have it so that you have a strictly design team and a strictly development team, or you could just have a website creation team and really meld them. Because I'm sure as I'm, let's say I'm the developer and I'm making up the design that was made, I'm going to be constantly bugging the designer. 
So if they're just on our team, they're on our team. That's my that's my opinion. And I think with that, they work really close together. That's my opinion. I don't think it's going to be like, you know, these guys are on one floor of the office. These other guys are on one floor. There's a design and a development floor and they never talk to each other. I think that's a recipe for disaster. So that's my thought. Yeah. I. So it's interesting. So you kind of um, the UX side, you bring web development into some of the UX conversations. I agree with that. I would still separate it out. So I think what you said exactly is correct. Like web design is the design process or the creating the wireframes and all that is a web design process. Then actually laying it out and coding it up as as well as, you know, dealing with the infrastructure of caching, the infrastructure of deployment and stuff like that. That's in the web development sphere of things, right? So that's the clear separation to me where it gets money. And I agree with you is that in between where I think it is important for web development to be part of the conversation in terms of web design in in a meeting perspective or even better. And this is what I've been working with recently, a web designer that actually understands code, like actually can code up the page. So not only can he design the page or she, they can also, or they have in the past, you know, done the semantic HTML and CSS structure. As soon as you have that cross, I feel like that's kind of, it's a little bit of a unicorn person, right? That's someone that's really good at both. And it just becomes so much easier to work with because you're right, Matt. If, if you're just going to let a web designer go with no communication with the development team, they're going to come up with a design or they're going to come up with some sort of structure that is going to make development hell. And that's happened many times. I've been part of teams with that with that mentality. And it's not the designer's fault. I'm not, I don't want to blame them. It's just they don't understand what it takes to bring a design to life, right? Whereas a de- designer that has experience with doing that will obviously think about it. So they'll when they go in and they do a layout, they'll be they'll they'll be thinking of flexbox grid. They'll be thinking of you know um, the spacing in between sections, consistent spacing to make it easy, a gap. You know what I mean? They'll be thinking of how how the mobile how the mobile layout will just be uh, you know a switching from call for from uh, or like rows to columns. Like they'll, they'll be thinking of that during the design process, which will make development a thousand times easier. I've again, I've experienced this personally. Trust me on this. If you have someone that understands web development as a web designer, that process becomes easier. And if you don't, like Matt was saying, bring the web developer into the conversation. In the early stages, in the wireframe stages, in the stages where, you know, the layouts are just being generated so that they can have some input and you can save yourself some time after you created the high fidelity designs, all of a sudden have to redoing it because it's going to take, you know, seven hours to lay out a button the way that the designer wants the button to be laid out. Obviously, you don't want that if it's going to be a tiny little tweak on the design process to make it so that it's a 10 minute fix. Those are the kinds of things that you could never... You, you could never replicate unless you have a de- developer on the team or, or the designer's a developer. That's a really good point and something that's close to my heart, because for some reason, I always picture and this never happened to me, but I just always picture this is that, you know, in the wireframe stage, which is why I involve sort of both teams in my general idea is that some really core things can be sorted out. So I don't know why I think this, but I remember when I was learning 3D translations, the very first thing I thought of was, man, I could make a cube, like a 3D cube, and each side of the cube would be a page. And then I kind of like learned a little more and was like, I don't want to do that. (laughs) 
That sounds like a big pain in the ass. But then I kind of thought to myself after that, I was like, there's definitely going to be some designer out there that's going to want to do that. And not this in particular, but I think this sort of thing can be seen on and it changes all the time. So maybe it's no longer the case, but on the Webflow marketing page, the one that they use just to sort of sell you on Webflow. And, and it makes sense for them. They're trying to show you interactions and, you know, what you can do in Webflow and the power and this and that. But scrolling through that was almost like an experience where things are flying in. And, you know, there's I have an older computer that I'm using right now. So it's like kind of the performance isn't that great and stuff. And I'm thinking to myself, man, if a designer wanted all this for, you know, to, to place or to make a client project, a designer or a, a developer, excuse me, would come in real fast and be like, hey, that is an extra seven hours per page. It's going to let you know, you know, and if there's a strict deadline or what have you, or there's a strict budget, you probably shouldn't do that. And that's kind of I understand that a wireframe isn't quite there. It doesn't have the visual fidelity. And there's going to be some stuff that the designer is going to do that might be overbearing in the design phase. But that real core stuff, like a wireframe on a cube the designer or the developer is going to be like, Hey, (laughs) what's going on here? And then they can have a discussion that the wireframe really is that foundational part. And that's sort of where I think that'll get weeded out. I hope anyway. Uh, And then I, I suppose the final question here, the final thing just to touch on, and we've touched on this over and over again is um, using templates and uh, UI frameworks. So, you know, do you ask about templates? Like, do you go to clients and say, hey, you know, I, I would like to use a template for this because I think this project's going to take a long time uh, otherwise. And you have a small deadline or you have a small budget or whatever. And then with that, do you show them a collection of templates? And we've done this in the past successfully and unsuccessfully, like anything else, where where someone will say to us, hey, you know, I'd like this done really fast. I'd like this. I'd like that. And then and then my thing is, is, hey, I would prefer to, you know, do this on a template. I'm going to send you a collection of six templates and you tell me which ones work for you. What do you think, Mike? Yeah, I think this one is really important to touch on uh, because this is how kind of we started, uh, Matt and I. Uh, a lot of our work was template based and a lot of it was because our clients requested it. Our clients are like, we want to do this fast. We want to do, we just need a website that looks the same as all other websites. We need something, you know, standard um, and we want to save some money. So templates are a perfect example of that. And the other thing is, is if when you're just starting out, what we mentioned before with like, you're going to, your first few designs are probably going to suck. And that's very true. A template could be a hacky way. And I, again, I'm saying it in air quotes. It's not really a hack. It could be a hacky way to build those skills without, you know, failing in production. Let's just say, let's call it like that. Because you can use a template and you can learn the basics of design through a template. Because usually the good templates are vetted by a lot of people. They're iterated upon and they're already there in terms of, you know, the right font pairings, the right colors, um, the right spacing and stuff like that. So take a template, maybe try to recreate it with a little bit of a different style. Maybe try to, you know, add a different font pairing, learn font pairings through the template process, right? So you're only getting to focus on one thing at a time rather than having to do the entire structure of the page. It's a way to learn the design aspects, especially. And obviously, it's a way for your customers to save money. It's a way for you to accelerate the process of development. But 
there are huge trade-offs when going with templates. Um, every time we've gone through a template, there's always been gotchas. There's never a perfect one. Uh, so I think Matt mentioned it before. You have to lay out those restrictions to your clients early on so that there's no like, oh, my gosh, okay, we can't make a whole calendar application inside this template now. Um, and, you know, everyone's panicking. But as long as the client is aware that there are limitations going moving forward with the template, and as long as, you know, the price fits the budget and stuff like that, I think there are great way for you to get into like if you're a really good developer it's a great way for you to you know bridge the gap and get clients and work in product work with production applications build your portfolio and stuff like that there's nothing wrong with using templates the same with the ui frameworks like tailwind ui daisy ui um you know i think bootstrap has a few design frameworks uh like carbon from ibm and stuff like that like all those frameworks especially when you're building something like a dashboard app for an internal application they don't require you to design everything from scratch. You just use pre-built design components, lay them out on a page, and boom, you've got it working. So again, a developer can take that and create a very useful application. It might not be perfect in the design aspect, but it will be very functional and it'll look pretty modern because those components are already designed and built out for you. So that's another way that you can kind of bridge the gap again. I don't want to say hacky anymore because it's not. It's just it, it, it's a great tool that you can use to focus on the more important things of the project. Yeah, there's a reason why templates are popular. There's a reason why there's there's templates, you know, kind of everywhere. And there's a reason why they sell like they could be several hundreds of dollars or even $80, $90, whatever. And they sell like hotcakes sometimes because it's a tool that people are using, whether it's for themselves or like you said, for an internal. That's a really good example, actually, that I didn't think of is an internal design where no one really cares. It's more like a tool. It's sort of like a. In the past, I've made wikis for other employees like, you know, hey, this is how you do this. this is how you log into our system if you need to test stuff and whatever, yada, yada. No one's going to be on my case about how the nav bar of that wiki is blue and they'd like it to be red or something like that. No one's going to be on me for that. They're going to be like, hey, you know, that writing is, you know, you need to have a typo there. You need to fix that up. This is unclear. They're there for the content. And that's something to consider as well is when are people there for the content versus when are they there for the the visual fidelity and i think that that can go with clients as well where you can really have that conversation with them and say okay you know what are you what are we looking for here what what's the goal of the project is this sort of an emergency situation in which you need some sort of analytical dashboard and you don't care what it looks like then okay you know let me handle it and i'll do it in what I think is best for me and you, I'll use a template to save my time. Maybe you won't even, maybe you will or will not bring this particular like level of detail up again, less is more usually, but in your own mind, you can think, okay, I'll use a template to save myself time, but also to save them money. And this is how I'm going to put this together and yada, yada, yada. Like I'll use these tools to put this together, this and that and the other thing. And they're not going to bug me because they don't like how the nav bar is a vertical nav bar. They're not going to bug me that the logo isn't centered. It's left aligned because they just need this done. And it really that's a really good point that Mike made there is that, you know, there is different use cases like internal use in an office and in the one I just brought up as well, like having, you know, a more utilitarian thing. A good example would be a client that has an event coming up. We've had clients that have had an event coming up and they need a site up. They need to have some sort of representation online. They need something for their business cards or their banners if it's an in-person 
uh, an in-person thing where they want to put, hey, you know, go to, you know, www dot whatever, whatever the blah, blah, blah dot com. They want to have that representation. They want to have that professionalism. and They don't have anything. And so we've asked them, hey, you know, what do you want for design? What do you think? And they'll just sort of, you know, kind of hum and haw and they don't care. So I go, OK, tell me the goal of the project. Tell me anything you need, anything that needs to be there. Absolutely. What needs to be there? What information? Give me all the copy or at least the Coles notes of what the copy should be. And then I'll make a site around this. And if we don't like it, it like I'll, I'll make it professional and modern by modern to modern standards right now, as of right now. And the best that I know how to do with the information you give me. And if you don't like the look of it, we'll look at that once your event is over. You focus on the event. Give me the bare minimum. I'll spin up something that at the very least, the public's not going to be like, oh, like, what is this? The 80s or something, right? Unless that maybe that's the intention of it's an 80s event. But it's there's something to consider there where templates are really a tool in the tool belt. And there's so many different scenarios that you can have with clients that you you would never think of. And it could involve both the web developer and the web design. We've had, you know, kind of sort of a final story, I suppose, is we've had clients approach us and say, I had a web designer come in and they made us prototypes. They made us templates. They made whatever sort of visual things they made for them, photoshops. And they've never actually made the site live. And we didn't have the budget to hire a web agency. We just knew a person. Usually it's like they knew a person that is actually a designer in a different field or maybe it is a different company or something like maybe the same field, different company, whatever. And so they kind of bring us this broken, you know, hardly running site. And they're like, you know, it's been a few months and we can't get this person back on the phone or we can't, uh, you know, kind of. We can't get this person to fix it because it kind of seems like they don't know how, you know, can you help us? And we've had to go in and sort of just tune up what they've had. And that's all web developer stuff. You go in there and you maintain the design that they had because the designer has gone in. But then you go and you fix up what the designer tried to do for a web developer. And I think that this sort of speaks to the closeness of web developers and the closeness of web designers together and also the separation as well. So sort of a, a final note, if you will, is that, you know, web designers absolutely do a whole bunch of things that web developers maybe would struggle to do or would have to have that skill set to do. Right. It, it can be cons- considered and it is considered oftentimes a separate job to be a web designer. But the same thing goes with web developers, where even when we, I was just talking with Mike here, I didn't even think of all the stuff he brought up, like caching and backend stuff, because a lot of the projects I work on are, like I said, medium and small business. So a lot of that stuff's kind of done for me. And what is it done by? It's done by tools. And so luckily for developers, there's sort of quote unquote design tools out there in the form of something like templates or maybe Canva templates even there too. Um, if you need like a quick banner made up or a quick slider or slide made up or something like that, there's templates there for you. For designers, there's te- there's templates or rather there's tools for you in the form of something like Webflow, various no-code tools, those type of things. So those tools, those no-code, low-code tools help designers do a little development. And the templates and other similar visual things like Canva templates for, for illustrations or for layouting or layouts, excuse me, of posters or thumbnails for YouTube videos or whatever, those help developers 
do the design work. And so that's ultimately what's going on here is that web developers and web designers work are definitely separate jobs, but they're very entwined. And the existence of these tools, low code, no code, and design tools like Canva and a bunch of others point to that. And it proves that because those companies are charging for those products on subscription or whatever. And there would, there's a demand there. It, the fact that they exist and they, and they make money and they, you know, have a revenue stream proves that developers need design tools and designers need developer tools sometimes. And it really just depends on the project at hand and what's going on. So that, that's sort of my, my sort of footnote, if you will. I know there's a lot of, in this episode, there's a lot of sort of like, you know, maybe flip-flopping of like, you know, web design is this important. Web development's this important. They meld together, but they don't need to meld together this and that and the other thing. But it really does depend on the project that you're working on. But there are commonalities in things, transferable skills. And so I don't want a war between web developers and web designers. We all have to work together to just effectively get the job done and just get it done. And with that, before I keep talking and just ranting on, I'd like to conclude this episode with saying that, remember, we are on Patreon, so if you enjoy episodes like this, and actually, I would love for you to give me a little bit of feedback on, this is the first conversational episode we've done in a while, we just wrote out questions, and this is all unscripted, very minimal show notes, so if you're interested in in episodes like this, or you like this sort of format, let us know on the socials, and if you want to support episodes like this, remember, we're on Patreon, that's patreon.com slash HTML alt things, and many thanks to our $3 tier patrons. Ryan Gatchell from Blue Black Digital on blueblackdigital.com. Chris from Selfmade Web Designer on selfmadewebdesigner.com. Tim from The Web Hacker on thewebhacker.com. DL Ford from dlford.io. Bib Hashdash from Nine Block Media on nineblockmedia.com. Jason from Geek Life Radio via geekliferadio.com. Michael Curie from MC Web Studio via mcwebstudio.ca. Magnus from YesWeb via yesweb.se. And Jeff from Twitter via at the Jeff McHale. Feel free to leave a comment or a review on the platform that you are listening to this on. And this outro will sign us off. You've been listening to HTML All The Things Podcast. Web development, web design, and small business. We hope you've gotten some useful and practical information from this show. And we hope you appreciate that we talk to you like human beings. And we hope you had some fun. We'll be back soon. But in the meantime, hit us up on social media. On Facebook, Instagram, and Patreon at HTML All The Things. And on Twitter at HTML Everything. Until next time, this is HTML All The Things. Signing off.